Amen. Thank you. Good morning. It's so good to see everyone this morning. We appreciate you being here, and we're so very blessed to see all of our members here and uh, see one another and fellowship and visit, and we just appreciate your presence so much, and we are very thankful to have those of you who are visiting with us. You mean so much to us. We hope you feel welcomed and appreciated, and we want you to know you're always welcome back at any and every opportunity. And of course, we're very thankful to have those of us who join us online. You're just as important to us as those who are physically with us, and we want you to know we're always here for you. And if there's any way we can serve you, please reach out to us as well. We pray for you, and uh, we're thinking about you, and we know that many of you wish you could be here with us right now uh, in, in our presence. Soon you will be able to. Uh, I, I want to uh, acknowledge some special guests that we have, and that is my uh, uncle and aunt, and they're friends of Hilda and Sid also, and uh, they're with us this morning visiting, and we appreciate them being, being here with us. It's a special blessing, and uh, John has, uh, John was a big influence in my spiritual life growing up. And uh, I don't know that I would be here now if it weren't for Uncle John in my life growing up. And I appreciate that so much. He's my, my mom's brother. That's the relationship. And, of course, uh, Sister Nancy, there she is. We're cousins on my dad's side. So we got, we got family on, on either side, and we appreciate her as, as well. So it's good to see everybody this morning. We continue in our series in Romans our second week in our series of Romans. We're going to spend 12 weeks, and we're going to cover more. Uh, we're going to get into chapter 3, almost finish chapter 3 today, but we won't cover every verse. But I want to highlight some things in chunks, uh, in particular at the beginning, and then get to the end portion where we're going to be. And we ended last week in chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Let me read that for you, because that connects with where Paul, of course, is going next. And Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And in many ways, these two verses summarize the entire letter that Paul writes to this Roman congregation of the Lord's church. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, he's... congregation there. And then over time, Gentiles became Christians. And so that this congregation in Rome was made up of Jews and Gentiles. However, in AD 49, the emperor, Emperor, emperor Claudius, he, he, uh, he banished all Jews out of Rome. And later in Acts, it's referred to that they were, they were banished by Claudius. And so 
after he died some years later, see, that church during that time would have been all Gentile. So they would have grown accustomed to, uh, to, to their culture, and they wouldn't have had the concerns that the Jewish Christians did of following the old law and the, the challenge they... Uh, then, over time, after the emperor died, they started migrating back to Rome and therefore coming back into the church. So you can imagine some of the challenges, the cultural challenges and, and, and theological challenges that they would have experienced as these Jewish Christians came back into the fellowship after being gone for so long. And, and so that's not unlike what we saw in Acts chapter 2 in the early church, and they were dealing with that there. Paul writes to them, and so he's writing to two audiences there to help them understand the righteousness of God from kind of two different perspectives. And he's going to take aim at both of them and then end up where we end up. Uh, addressing something to all of us. Now, what does Paul mean, do you think, when he talks about the righteousness of God? That's a big, powerful, packed phrase as Paul relationship with him justified uh, it's his plan to do that that is revealed in the gospel does that make sense so that's what Paul means when he writes about the righteousness of God it's God's plan of salvation we might say revealed in the gospel revealed to people to to be able to be put in a right, a right standing with God and now very Of Jesus, see, it's it, it, you didn't have to follow the Mosaic law anymore, as the Jewish Christians struggled with, and it wasn't about uh, uh, you know how the the Gentiles or they he might say the heathens lived, and and maybe having to just have good works and be good enough. and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them listen to this because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse verse 21 for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became... And so this wrath of God and the righteousness of God uh, go, go together in what, because of what he's saying. And see this, God's wrath, the wrath of God, isn't like human anger. It's not this impulsive uh, anger. God doesn't just, just explode on us. He, he doesn't have anger issues. Now, sometimes people want to make issues. The wrath of God is his measure. you need to understand, he tells from the wrath. Do you see that? So we also see There's no way you can't conclude in your right mind that there is a God. And now that's called natural or general revelation. And, and now that doesn't, that's not enough for you to be saved. But what he's saying is that ought to tell you.
You see that? You see what Paul's saying there? And what are those invisible attributes? If you look at creation, you can obviously tell that there is a creator that has eternal power and divine spiral, a fiery tailspin in sin. And they chose not to honor God above everything else. And so they created their own idols to worship, their own man-made, made-up gods to worship. They did not honor God as God, and and, and they chose to make man-made things and honor those as God. And God says, Paul says, you exchanged the glory of the immortal God For something that you made, a mortal animal, a critter that you made, and you're going to worship that instead of the immortal God. You're going to exchange this God for that, a made-up fake God that means nothing. And, And so when they did that, see, that's the ultimate sin of idolatry, as we talked about in class. That that that's that's breaking the first commandment. That's what idolatry is. Every sin comes back to breaking the first commandment. God is not first. Maybe in your life as a whole or maybe in that moment, God was not first in that moment. Does that make sense? And so when you do that, when God is not above all other things, that means you've put something else before him. You've exchanged him and put something else up there. And whether it's a sin, whether it's an addiction, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, hobbies, sports, Uh, travel, relaxation, whatever it is, you're putting something else up there, work, something else up there before him. And that's idolatry, Paul says. And you're taking man-made things and exchanging the glory of God for those things and worshiping those things. And he said, that's what you... And so the the sin of idolatry is what what they've done. That's that root sin. And And yet at the same time, Paul says, and yet you're claiming to be wise. So you talk to somebody doing that in that downward spiral, and guess what? They think they know what they're doing. They believe they're in control of everything. They, they think, I got this. What are you talking about? They'll get defensive on you because they think they're wise. And Paul says, you're in a tailspin. And so what? when they did that, the Bible says God gave them up to what they wanted to do. You see, God's not going to make you do anything. God's going to let you do whatever you want to do. Did you know that? Youth, young people, whatever you want to do, but that doesn't make it right. He's not going to make you do what's right. You got to do that from your heart because you're convicted by the gospel to do what's right, to live for him. And that's what Paul is saying, uh, that that sin caused them to get worse and worse and worse. And we see that in the descriptions that Paul gives and all of the sins that their lives get wrapped up in. 
So God gave them up. And Paul says that three different times. Annual tailspin of their lives, really ultimately about idolatry, worshiping something else uh, other than God. Next, real briefly, Paul uh, turns to the Jews. He takes aim at the Jews in, in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through chapter 3, verse 8. A big chunk there. And look at verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. See, so he said, Gentiles, you have no excuse. Now he turns to Jews and said, you have no excuse. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And see, the Jews could walk around because they had the law. They, they knew how they were supposed to live. They were the chosen ones, right? And so they could walk around and judge everybody else. And Paul said, nuh-uh. You ain't getting off the hook. I'm not going to let you off the hook because what you condemn them for, you're doing the same things while you prance around acting like you're living all holy. And he's saying you're all sinners. That's the point he's trying to make to them. Uh, he continues to show the Jews that they're sinners as the Gentiles. And that brings us to chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. And let me read these verses real quick, uh, 9 through 18. What then? Are, the Jews, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we, already have, we have already charged that all, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So now he's, he's like, okay, Gentiles, I talk to you. Jews, I talk to you. Now come together, I'm going to talk to both of you. And he's talking to all of us, okay? He's making a case to show us all of you are sinners. Get it. Just understand you're lost in sin. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. He's quoting from the Psalms. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom, venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no Fear of God before their eyes. That kind of like, kind of sounds like Paul just wrote that last week, doesn't it? That sounds pretty, pretty modern, doesn't it? That's a good description of how a lot of things are today. That's because the Bible is about a timeless truth of God's story and saving us and our state of lostness and sin. So Paul is holding up a magnifying glass to our sin, to say, look, all of you have sin. None of you are righteous. He's holding up a mirror to us to say, look, you're all lost. But the problem is, or not, not the problem, but the thing is, the blessing is, he doesn't leave us there, right? Because that's all bad news. And we're like, oh, wow, well, why did I come to church for this? Why did I sit and listen to this letter to the Romans being read to me? Why? He didn't leave us there. He continues and gets on to the good news. So he's really picking up his thought from chapter 1, 16, and 17. He's picking up from those verses, and then he gets to chapter, now he's in verses 21 through 26, where we'll finish up today of chapter 3. But now, listen to what Paul writes. But now, 
meaning in Christ, the new covenant, the, the New Testament times, in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, saying that to the Jews, it ain't about following the law anymore, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. In other words, this is consistent. It was always pointing to Jesus. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for who? All who believe. It's a whosoever will invitation, believing in Christ and the good news of the gospel, and act for there's no distinction, for all have sinned. See, he just walked them through that being personal, and he's saying, understand, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what? The good news. And, and, and look at these verses right here. These verses are John 3.16. These verses are the, the, the gospel message in different words than we're used to seeing, like in John 3.16. Look at verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Whom God put forward, Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Do you see this recurring theme? Paul, in the letter to the Romans, loves the idea of God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, listen to this, just so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? So instead of wrath, Paul is showing how God deals with sin so that we can be saved. That's what he's telling them. That's what he wants them to understand. The righteousness of God has been manifested, meaning that God came and acted on our behalf out of his glory, his righteousness, in order to save us because of his love for us. And that is done through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus our righteousness the, the, that God provided is his means of turning our unrighteousness into righteousness. The God, it's a God, it's a, the operation of God. It's what he does, not anything we can do. All we can do is turn to Jesus in faith. God's saving righteousness is for anyone who puts their trust in him and obeys the gospel. Male, female, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter what color, where you're from, how much money you don't have, how much education you do, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. The gospel is for all people. God's righteousness is for all people. Look at verses 23 and 20 through 26. As I said, this is John 3.16 right here. See, we were all sinners, and that's what he wants to convict us of, unable to save ourselves. And so God, through his righteousness, saves us through his son for those who believe. But look at the word justified. What does that word mean, justified? He says that we are justified in Christ. It means that we aren't made righteous, but rather we're declared or counted righteous when we obey the gospel because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And Dan Winkler says it like this. He says you can look at the word justified and kind of say it like this. It's, it's your standing before God in Christ just if I'd never sinned. Does that make sense? 
That's what justification is. When you obey the gospel and put him on in baptism, then you stand before God, not because of anything you did, but because of his righteousness and the blood of Christ and the resurrection, then you can stand before God just as if you had never sinned. That's the good news of the gospel. That's, that's what we have in Christ. And it's, look at verse 24, through the redemption. See, he's the one that redeems us, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what did God do? In verse 25, Paul says Jesus was our propitiation. That's a big word we don't say a lot. And and sometimes some people don't even like to use that word. It's an unusual word, but it means that God provided Jesus as our sacrifice. God provided the sacrifice. Does that make you think of an Old Testament story about a, a, a God who told Abraham to do what? Go sacrifice his son Isaac. And just as he was about to go down with that blade, what happened? The angel said, stop. And what did God do? He provided the sacrifice. That's exact, that was a foreshadowing to this, okay? God provided the sacrifice so we didn't have to be sacrificed because it wouldn't have worked. He provided that ram in the bush, that perfect lamb to, 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 to propitiate the wrath of God. Does that make sense? To deal with our sin so that we didn't have to pay the cost, suffer the consequences of our sin. He took his perfect son, And he put him on the cross for us. And he said all those who put their faith in Christ and obey the gospel, then they will stand just if they'd never sinned because of the blood of my son who was his blood appeased my wrath. And now you can stand justified in a right relationship with me. He provided the sacrifice. Why? Because of his love for us. That's why. Look at the cost he paid. The price he paid for our behalf. He did this, verse 26, because he loves us more than we can understand. See, on the cross, God shows himself both to be just in dealing with sin because sin had to be dealt with. And he, he's just because he dealt with sin. And he provided the sacrifice. But he's also the justifier. Because he said, because of the sacrifice I provide, now you can stand justified. And I will justify you with the sacrifice that I provide. On the cross, God punishes sin and saves the sinner all at once. And at the cross of Jesus, God's justice and his love meet together on our behalf. You see, that's the gospel message of what God did for us in Christ. That's the righteousness of God that Paul was talking to them about and talking to us about today. And that's what we want you to know. That's what we want our community to know. That the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, we can be saved. We can stand right before God and have salvation. You know, in Acts chapter 2, as we close... When the people heard this same message in Acts chapter 2, they were cut to their heart and they they cried out and said, well, what do we do? You just told us this 
Amazing message. You, you convicted us of our sins and you told us about Jesus and that he's a Christ, the Christ. What do we do? And Peter and the apostles replied, what? what, it, what they said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you will see the gift, receive the gift for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. There, there's not something else. There's not another one. That, that's, that's, what it, that's what you do when you hear that message. That's what they did in the Bible and that's what we're supposed to continue to do today. That's how God justifies us through the sacrifice of Jesus and being united with him in baptism. Maybe you're ready to do that this morning. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you've been cut to the heart and you realize what God has done for you and the magnitude of all of that and what Paul wrote. Or maybe you need prayers in some other area. We can encourage you in some way. We want you to know that this church is always here for you. If we can serve you in any way, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, repent of your sins, ask for prayers, whatever your needs are, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. Yeah.